Hey guys, I just want to thank you guys for watching If You Can't Handle the Heat presented by Out of System. I just want to let you guys know about our new collaboration this month, the month of the NCAA tournament, allvolleyball.com. They're the number one volleyball retailer, and they've been around for 27 years, which if you're counting, is longer than me, Joe, and Micah. Excuse my language, but allvolleyball.com has given a shit about the sport and the community long before it was thought to be cool. And when you shop with All Volleyball, they take a portion of each dollar and put it right back into the sport. I mean, they got it all. Shoes, essentials, and entire uniform packages. Oosh! For 20% off, dues on their entire store. Again, 20% off on all of allvolleyball.com. Hit the link in the bio. Again, O-O-S for 20% off. Enjoy the episode, guys. Yeah. You can, you can handle the heat. Yeah. You can, you can handle the heat. Yeah. Out of system, you can handle the heat. Be like a shell. Welcome back to another episode presented by Atticism. It's your boy G Swiss to my left, my brother. Jokesy, Jokesy, how we doing? What's up, everybody? Now, the recently the NCAA tournament just ended, and of course, we had to bring one of the goats of the MVP tournament, the All-American All-Pac-12, recent Oregon alumni. She gives hope to all the barrows that dream of playing in the front row one day, the Brooke Nuneveller. Brooke, thank you so much for hopping on the pod. Wow, what an intro. Thanks for having me. Hey, from libero to libero, let me tell you right now that, like I said, I, that comes from the heart because I truly mean that because, like I said, a lot of stuff goes on front row. Liberos have dreams. A lot of people listening right now probably have dreams playing the front row, and you give them hope. So we just want to give a quick shout-out with that. Awesome. Um, well, let's get into it here. Well, congratulations on a great season and a great career uh, at Oregon. Thank you. You're currently, uh, you said you're, you're back home in, in Arizona. Yeah. So what now? So what's the plan now after the after you graduated and what's happening? Yeah, so I just packed all my stuff up, stuff up. I fit all of my entire life into my Prius and drove down to Arizona. And now I am just waiting for a couple contracts. We're looking to go pro soon within the next month, but nothing official yet. Um, we're probably going to make a decision, though, within the next couple of days. That's exciting. That's so So yeah. you know, is, is libero or outside? Outside, there's really nothing as libero, so hey, we're, hey, we're we're going outside till we can, so till we can't anymore. We're just the, full commit. That's what I like to hear because like, yeah, it, it's brutal for liberos. Like I get what you mean by that. So libero is, a, I mean, outside is a smart move. So with that being said, is for like, do you plan to in USA libero or outside or what's the plan with that? I have been in the USA pipeline for a long time, and I've always been a libero through that, at least at the highest level for like the national teams, the junior and youth collegiate. It's always been libero. I trained with the national team last summer, again, as a libero, but I had a conversation with Karch, and he said not to limit myself right now. So we'll see how we do as an outside overseas. Um, right now, I'm looking at leagues in Italy and Turkey. Um, so if I can potentially be successful there, maybe I'll change his mind, but it's been libero in the past. That's awesome. That's awesome. How does how does that transition work? Because on the men's side, everything's so late. Like in when you look at mm -hmm. the the leagues and everything, like it's a, the U.S. is at a major disadvantage. We always talk about that. Mm -hmm. But on the women's side, you know, for you guys, you're coming in the middle of season. For those who don't know, the professional season it's like right in the middle of most professional seasons right now. Mm -hmm. And so um, teams are looking if they had injuries or if they had. Uh, they want to replace a player, whatever reason they might have. That's where a lot of the NCAA athletes come out, and that's and they're jumping onto those teams for the remainder of season into playoffs. So for you, I know how it is on the men's side, but were there agents present at the NCAA tournament watching you guys? Where they're like, 
as soon as like teams were done, they were speaking to you immediately after, or were they sending you messages via email? Like, how did that work for you uh, in terms of getting to find an agency, and then and then now kind of in the process of finding a team? Yeah, I can answer that a couple of ways because it's been interesting too with the COVID extra year of eligibility. So a lot of agents didn't know if I was going to be taking my fifth year last year. So even at the NCAA tournament, the All-American banquet, like their agents all around, like giving me, giving everyone their card, you know, because you don't know if you're going to stay for that extra year of eligibility. So ever since the end of last year, I've had agents emailing me or DMing me. Uh, but the last couple of months of season, I started to get more serious and who I was talk talking to, um, who I wanted to have conversations with. And then I ended up choosing Stefano Bartocci. He's an Italian agent and he has been awesome. But, um, it's been, he actually came and watched my regional match against Louisville and Nebraska. So that was fun and just super supportive. So that was kind of my process, but I kind of also like how we're halfway through the professional season, because when you're coming out of college, you get to go overseas and it's a four month season instead of that full eighth that you're kind of dipping your toes in. So I'm excited. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. In both the countries, those leagues that you're going to, uh, or sorry, looking at, um, are really high level leagues and in pretty cool places also those places aren't too bad <laughs> um but in terms of your like transition uh for position uh with this year what were some of the most difficult things and what were some of the easier things obviously going from libero to an attacker both like physically and also um just like day to day in terms of like preparation and everything so i have been just making that transition and switching between position since I was I don't know 15 14 years old and so it's just had to be really fast adjustments I would say the hardest time for that transition was from my freshman to sophomore year of college just because I had never just played libero for a long period of time so my freshman year of college for people who don't know I was a libero at Oregon and I had a year off of jumping I would never train outside in practices but then I had to make that transition my sophomore year. I had to start taking some jumps. My vert definitely went down a little bit. So just getting that physicality back, getting that vertical back up, um, getting stronger in the weight room. You know, I'm an undersized outside hitter. So got to get the vertical higher, got to hit hard, good ball control. So, so when I was younger, I kind of had, that, had to make that same transition going from libero and all of a sudden, okay, you're the, not just a hitter, like you, like you're, like you, you were the hitter, right? So the team relies basically on you. Uh, in terms of offensively, energy-wise. Was there any, for me, the biggest transition that I struggled with that I had to get used to? Obviously, kind of the rhythm and the, and the flow of playing outside hitter at a, a higher level now, right? Um, did it ever get frustrating? For me, it got, like, so frustrating because I, I frustrated myself because, like, I got I to gotta do this. But then it's like sometimes it's like, like you said, in all due respect, your freshman and sophomore year, your sophomore year, your team wasn't as good as your freshman year. Right, a lot of nope. you guys graduated. So for me, I was frustrated with myself, I get frustrated with my team, and I had to kind of learn how to like kind of keep it within and kind of channel it through mm -hmm. my team and try and make them better. At the same time, I'm trying to figure my stuff out. At the same time, was that kind of the situation with you? Yeah, I um, I look back at my. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. You're yeah, good. Yeah. Okay, there we go. I looked back at myself more year and I definitely had a different mentality than the last couple of years um I was definitely taking on more of a 
ball control role as an outside hitter. Um, I was responsible for getting threes, and we had a couple of terminal attackers too my sophomore year. But but then once I got more physical and we started to lose more attackers and I started to become the vet on the teams, I had to take on a bigger role. So, yes, it's definitely frustrating making transition. I could also give the example of playing training in the national team gym in the summer as a libero, and I played outside for all of my – basically all of my college career and going at a – very very much higher speed and playing left back defense and making the, just those little nuances there you don't realize how many there are until you're really making that transition so yes it's definitely frustrating but you kind of have to give yourself some grace in those situations and maybe just train it a little bit harder before you really really get frustrated at yourself I, I still remember my first tournament where I had to play outside hitter I'm telling you right now, from libero to outside hitter, you are just <laughs> gassed. The difference between even practicing and even just playing in games, like, was that just yeah. like, you're just like, oh, my God. Like, how was that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just, you you have to transition a lot. I think that's where that's where it gets me the most, transitioning. Um, but I don't know. Like I've said, I've made the transition so much in my life that the hardest was from freshman to sophomore year. But now I'm kind of getting used to it. I just really have to focus on staying in shape, like, if I'm – switching from a libero because you are you're doing a little bit less i mean you got to get low you got to read a little play some good defense but as an outside you're just doing a couple a couple more things that you're not necessarily used to so just staying in shape is definitely important percent. <laughs> sorry Jenny. no I, w- I was gonna speak more in terms of like your guys team and uh just over the years what from your experience you know oregon's competing in the pac-12 uh, always one of the top leagues has top teams there um, and then playing in the NCAA tournament, obviously you get to play against the Big 12, Big 10, uh, SEC schools. What is one thing for you that you notice that separates the top the top from the other uh, teams, especially in the tournament? Is there something that you've noticed that, uh, that stands out uh, over the years? I would say floor defense is a lot better. Um, I think a lot of teams – I, I watched your last episode and you were saying how Respect. Texas won because Texas won because they had they got a, a good really good libero um, and I think you can agree with that a little bit because you have these really elite attackers and then now you bring in ball control so I think the higher level that you get you notice the better passers that you're receiving you have to serve the ball a little bit tougher um, and their floor defense just gets a lot better so for me as an undersized attacker. And the Nebraska match, I struggled a little bit because I had a really – they run a 6-2, so they have two right sides that are super tall, um, great blockers. I struggled because I had that combo with a really, really good floor defense behind me. Um, when we got to the Louisville match, they were a little bit smaller. They ran a 5-1. I was matched up against the setter. And their defense was still really good. But I think when you have a combo of a really, really good block and the really, really good floor defensive team, it gets a lot harder. And I think the higher level you get, that's what you see more. Oh, absolutely. Especially, yeah, the physicality. Oh, the blockers and everything definitely steps up. It's just the in the discipline. I think you'll recognize we were right. we were speaking to Dana Retke actually two weeks ago, um, and just her and she's like had some ups and downs from her season and she's playing on one of the top teams in Italy, mm-hmm. um, and she's like it's just a whole nother like level. The speed and the like the room for error is like so much smaller. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like you see a lot of the same stuff. Like, there's nothing, like, crazy that you haven't seen when you go up to the professional level or from, like, high school to college. It's just, like, the room for error gets smaller and smaller um, at every level you go up. And so it's always interesting to me to talk to 
uh, people and like ask them, what is it about like the elite athletes or the elite teams that separates them that, from what you've seen? Um, and that's and that's always the biggest thing. Is like as a coach, as a player, it's like you're looking for that stuff to pick up on, and um, and it can like it's the smallest things always. And so like like you like you're talking about with Texas, it's like you don't have a whole lot of room for there's there's areas you got to take advantage of. You're gonna beat a team like that, um, <laughs> and they'll open the door here and there, and you got to make sure you take advantage of those opportunities. If not, like it's really difficult to play against a team like that. Um, mm-hmm. But you you being at Oregon, what's like what is your favorite thing about, or not? I guess you're done with Oregon now. But sorry, <laughs> I, I don't mean to. I don't mean to make you sad or anything. But um, what was your favorite thing about just the experience of Oregon? What like, and I'm thinking more from like an athletics perspective, like resources. Like one thing that you like just absolutely took the most advantage of that you would say. I mean, Oregon is people say Nike University. So the amount of connections that you have. Um, through that company and also just the community of Eugene is, is really special. I think we grew our crowd a lot, the better that we got as a volleyball team. But if we're talking volleyball wise, I would say the style of their play is, is very different than a lot of teams. Like we run the ball very fast. Our ball control is very good. And I think what separated us this year was our offense got a lot better. Um, but yeah, just the amount of resources that you have and the support of the community is, is very different i think than a lot of communities or a lot of universities well christian so one thing that the biggest shock when we went to college well let, let me re, let me rephrase that question so i think we there's a similarity between you stayed five years at oregon watching mm-hmm. oregon uh, like i said i've watched you guys throughout your entire career and in the tournament i've always seen the oregon's coaching staff is has always been very very good it seems like they know what they're really really doing and they develop players really really well and we went to Hawaii. It was kind of the same case with us. We had really good coaches and stuff. Um, obviously, especially more now more than ever, the transfer portal is wild. There are so many people transferring. It's kind of – it's like – and you hear these absolute horror stories. Guys, mm-hmm. girls are telling you stories. And you're just like, no way this happened. I remember I was turning to Joe one time. This is like – there's like 64 tournaments in this team. And I remember just like looking at – because they always obviously pan on the coaches, show the coaches when they're on television. I'm like – I turned to him. I was like, I was like, I wonder how many coaches actually know what they're doing in this situation. <laughs> I remember I said it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, obviously you can look calm. You can wear the nice clothes. You can have the calm mm-hmm. c- composure. But I'm wondering, do they actually know what they're doing at all? And like, I can mm-hmm. like, was was that like when you heard those stories? Are you shocked? And also, what is the biggest shock you learned when you went to college volleyball that you did not expect? Hmm. Luckily, I haven't heard too many horror stories. Um, and I think that's because we have such a great staff. Um, something something for me that was shocking in college was just the, I, I think the speed at every single level that you get. So from high school to college, college to pro, pro to national team, or about the same, like the speed really gets a lot different. The speed of the serve, the speed of the attack. So um, that was a big shock for me in my transition. But but like I said, our, our coaching staff is very talented. Matt Ulmer, he spends hours upon hours. He it's like no sleep at night during season and he is up watching film he, he's just very educated in the game of volleyball and it's also very different than what i had learned in the past there's so many different styles around the country and he brought a new style to my game which i really appreciated too what is a i'm always this is one thing i'm actually really interested in always because i love this part of preparation um 
and just playing volleyball. What what does a typical scouting report look like for you guys? Like, what are like the key things um, that you that Matt would go through like in a scouting report? And like, could could you give a little bit of detail about what that looked like for you guys and things that he focused on in a scouting report? Yeah, so we use volumetrics and we will practice in the mornings and then we'll usually have some sort of a film session depending on who we're playing. So when we're watching film, we're always going over the rotations and you know their offense in every rotation. Um, we'll then go through specific hitters, uh, specific servers, and that's about it with film. But when he breaks those specific things down, we're looking at tendencies of attackers, whether they're more likely to hit line across in certain situations or if they will use the block more than they'll want to find areas around the block, uh, different things like that. But Or servers, if their serves tend to drop. Just a lot of tendencies in a lot of different areas of the game. But then our assistant coach, Taiba, she would send a full scouting report um, on those things just broken down on a piece of paper. So we go over a lot, and it, it depends on how much the players really want to take advantage of the resources that we're given. What is the – or how much of the analysis goes into the opposing setter? And, like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so it's mostly the things that we look at with the setter is – if they're likely to go with the flow where the pass takes them, if they're likely to set like a quicker tempo, say say the pass pushes them forward, are they likely to set the four quickly? Are they, they going to pick the ball up? Um, so we look at tempo a lot so we know what to expect with our block. And then we also look at um, how likely they are to set different hitters in different rotations. So like what's okay. the first priority, second priority? So if say you have a third priority is their right side and I'm the outside blocker, like maybe I can help more with the middle. It's different things okay. like that. No, it's, I appreciate you going into detail about that. Is it, is it most of that stuff based on statistics or is it mostly just based on like them watching video and just kind of getting a feel for things or do they show like numbers, like I, this yeah. situation, this percentage? I think a little bit of both. I'll always ask Matt because <laughs> I think it's harder for undersized people to help block. And so mm-hmm. I really like to know, like, what's my role going to be? It, are they really likely to set middles on a perfect pass? So then I really need to stay in more or can I cheat and can I leave a little bit more? Um, so I think that has to do with percentages a lot, but also different matchups and different things. So, for example, like I'm a smaller blocker. Are they more likely to set the right side with a smaller blocker or when our setters front row? Are they more likely to set the outside? Different things like that. Okay. Are you more of a uh, when you when you? When you're watching film and looking at a scouting report, as libero, you need you don't need to know everything going on, but you need to know similar stuff for the outside hitter, as the main outside hitter. Do you are you kind of a shoot by the feel kind of girl, or are you just kind of like a, a very very statistical? This is what I need to know. This you know, or for me, I've no, for for me, I've noticed. I'm just like I know I need to know this information, and then from then on, just play volleyball. That's how I am too. I gotcha. I like to know as an outside. A- especially as an attacker, what where, what shots in the court are open. Like if I'm in trouble, is the five zone more open? Is the drop tip more open? Is the high line more open? So I know what to have in my bag. Um, but I think once you get to a high enough level, teams teams are really good. And so I don't, I think they take what you show a lot of the time. So just being super deceptive. So I don't like to like really watch a ton, a ton of film and just break down every little thing. Cause I think the higher level you get, the better the teams are going to adjust to your play. So I really just like to take what's open in the moment. What what other schools were you considering when you first were making the choice coming out of uh, so, high school? So, yeah, um, 
a majority of the schools were recruiting me as a libero. So I was actually planning on going to Stanford for a very long time. And um, Matt had gotten the head coaching job about when I was making my decision. And he honestly changed my mind. I really loved Oregon and he was recruiting me as an outside. And that was a really big deal for me because like I said, I wasn't done hitting just like I'm not done hitting now. So we're going to continue that as long as possible. But so you had Stanford. I was also interested in Washington as a libero, Wisconsin as a libero. Um, I love Wisconsin. They, I love Kelly Sheffield. I think he does an amazing job with that program. Um, and then BYU was also recruiting me as an attacker um, in Florida State. So I, I just think I, I wasn't done hitting and Oregon gave me the best opportunity. So did he, so what was that conversation like when he said, all right, you're libero, you're outside hitter, and first year you had to play libero. Did he tell you that when you were recruiting, or was that something you learned? I think I, the, what I wanted was an opportunity to hit. And in most of the universities that were recruiting me as a libero were like, you are not going to hit, you are going to be our libero. And so it's, Matt gave me every opportunity I think that I deserve. For example, like my freshman year, I had Lindsey Vanderweide, we had Taylor Borup, we had Brooke Van Sickle, and then we had Lauren Page too. Those were all four outsides. They were um, veterans and they were very talented. And I didn't really expect to just go in and go hit outside my first year. So my freshman year, I was like, where am I going to see the court most? Where am I going to make the most impact? And that was libero. And then um, sophomore year, I think like the way the cards were drawn at Oregon was the best possible situation because I wasn't a very good outside my sophomore year. And we really needed me to play outside. And I was given a ton and ton of grace my sophomore year and so many learning opportunities that made me so much better. That allowed me to make more of an impact as an outside my junior year. Um, so I was really okay with playing libero. I think that was what I had to do in the moment. If they if they had you play libero your whole career, well, two questions. If they said, yeah, you got to keep playing libero, would you have been annoyed by that? Or you've been like, okay. Hit the and- portal. You hit the portal. <laughs> Deuces. <laughs> it's funny because my sophomore year, when I started to play outside, I was really frustrated because I wasn't very good. And I told Matt, like, I think I'm going to get like, I, I'm always the type of player that would rather win a national championship than be a first-team All-American. So it I, wasn't my first priority, but I was really frustrated at the way I was playing. And I was like, I think I would get just more recognition and be better as a libero. And he was like, he, we had a conversation. He's like, just, just wait. You just need to develop. And the amount of times he's reminded me of that conversation since the last three years has been really funny because, like I said, I've been given incredible opportunities and I've gotten really, really incredible recognition because of the team I've had in staff. So it's been it's been a heck of a ride. So like for those teams that said my brother is in the same situation, he got as as he as I would say a lot of disrespect from colleges saying want to play libero, saying can't play setter and whatnot, has a very successful career, such as yourself. So my question to you is did you ever use this like as fuel to the fire or like or like, okay, I see how it's gonna be. Like it's kinda of like a slight kind of thing. Yeah, because there were so many coaches that were like, you're not going to be good enough to be an outside in college. And I would use that every single day. I think I always use that as fuel. For example, I love to play in front of a big away crowd. That's my favorite thing ever because you're getting getting booed and you have a whole crowd cheering against you. And the best thing ever is having them all shut up by doing something really good. So um, I think I am definitely a type of player to use that fire to my advantage. And just any negativity that comes my way, I really try to use it as motivation. 
we always try and tell our fans like wherever we play, we love we love you guys, but there's something about playing on the road in a big game away, and you know, mm-hmm. especially in college, American college, you got people just heckling you and going crazy. So what? So like, what is the that you could share? What is the craziest thing or the worst thing someone's ever said to you, heckling wise? I had a a rough freshman week or two, and I'm not gonna go into really big detail, but. We were in the Sweet 16 my freshman year at Minnesota. They were the number two. We were the 15. And we won that match. But during that match, I was serving, and the student section's right behind me. And they somehow figured out every single thing about that week. And I just hear them in my head serving the whole oh, time. God. So that was really fun. But, um, but yeah, I mean, just everything about a away crowd it's just it's so fun and honestly if you're home too like i've had very special moments we we swept stanford this season the only time we played them and we had our best crowd that game and i remember just sitting sitting on our bench during uh i think after the second set and i just hear like all these cheering and all these eugene fans and just coming to support oregon volleyball which we haven't necessarily had in the past and i just remember like embracing every single moment of it so so I love playing in our home crowds, but away ones are also very fun. Speaking of playing at home, is your guys, I'll be honest, watching you guys play, like from the angle they have you guys at the court, the floor, man, the floor, I'm like, what is that? It like took me a little while to realize that's actually like a forest. I was like, what is that? Like, is it cooler when you're actually on the floor or is it just still like a blob of mess kind of thing? Love the idea that's though. That's like an on- <laughs> like ongoing joke. And- on our team because we, we received a ton of recognition for like very good plays. We had very scrappy defense, really. We were just all around really good team. So NCAA would post a lot of clips and we, we were just like, Oh, here come the floor comments every single time. <laughs> Cause they're like, that floor is awful. And I'm like, can we just for once recognize how good this volleyball is instead of hating on the floor? But I agree. Like I've had a lot of family members say like, Oh, that floor is really distracting, and I, th- I think our camera work doesn't necessarily do it justice sometimes either. Yeah. But um, I don't, I don't ever notice it when I play, so no complaints from my end. Or you need to get on the Terraflex. <laughs> yeah, why did you guys? You guys have the facilities for that. Like, how come you guys don't do Terraflex? Yeah. I I'd asked Matt about that this year, and he he said I'm gonna make some enemies of, amongst the uh, Matthew Knight Arena staff. They're gonna have to roll it and unroll it all the time for our basketball because we share the basketball court. Um, right. So it's that, and then we also spent so much money on that floor like five years ago. So maybe, maybe in time, but. I need to bring in this heartbreak again. I want to kind of bring in this Louisville game. <laughs> we watched it literally right behind where this computer yeah, yeah, we is. We had, were screaming. We had guys, yeah, we had some people over watching it. We were screaming, and I, you probably don't want to hear that. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, question, no, no. My question to you, right, is do you, okay, obviously you're like, man. We had a great – like, you had a great season. You had a great, great tournament season. run and everything like that. Is it like – do you kind of go in with a mindset of, like, okay, a lot of people didn't have us going this far. We, I think we had you going that far. I, we had a bracket challenge. I'm pretty sure we had you going that far. Except <laughs> One for, of us. <laughs> one of us did. There's four four of us. I'm just going to go ahead since I'm talking and say it was me. I had you going that far. Was it kind of like a, a – man, like, how – was it like as soon as you ended, you're like, obviously – I saw you in tears as you should be, um, because your seat. Nice cage. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Your, your season, your season's over. Career's over at Oregon. You're done with college. Uh, is it kind of right away you realize, wow, this was a special group. I'm so happy. Or was it kind of like one of those things where like I can't talk for a while? And secondly, 
Was it horrible hearing say, hey, you had a great season, you had a great game, all this other stuff, <laughs> knowing you were right there, and at the end of the day, unfortunately, it didn't go your way? Because for me, yeah. I, I can't stand like when I when like like if we didn't win or or whatnot, I can't stand. I can't stand it. I can't stand. It. I, I need like yeah. at least a day or two. Normally, I'm the type of player to take a couple hour break from everyone else and just yeah. kind of like reflect on the match. And then after those two hours, I'm like, it's over. What can you do? Um, I would say during that Elite Eight match, I was fully confident in moments, saying, "Wow, we are about to go to the final four. Like. That's all I, I when we had match brutal. point when we had match point and our freshman outside who was a third team all American who was national freshman of the year she is absolutely phenomenal when she had the opportunity to score I'm not not saying it's her fault at all Put her on but the spot. I was fully Put her confident on the spot. that she, fully confident <laughs> that she would get that kill because she has like all of the season but then like I had missed my serve earlier in that set and like I think there was just a couple things that we could have yeah. taken advantage of that we didn't. Um, but I was I was fully confident that we truthfully I thought that we could be anyone in the country I and I'm gonna say that Texas was the best team in the country but they're beatable so I thought we could have beaten anyone Agreed. I think um, if I'm gonna put Texas aside I think we are just as good if not better than anyone like I I truthfully think we're just as good if not a little bit like I think we could have won the Louisville match but their defense was phenomenal in the end of the fourth and the fifth set and they made some ridiculous plays. So at the end of the day, those are the teams that are going to win. But um, after the match, in the fifth set, I think everyone knew that Louisville was going to win that after the first half. And we were just fighting every step of the way. But I think it was really hard because we could have won. Like, we had the opportunity to win, and we didn't. But at the end of the day, in the locker room, I told my team I would rather lose in the Elite Eight with that group than to make it to the final four with any other team so it was just bittersweet for sure um definitely things that we could have done better but at the end of the day we had the best record pac-12 record of any oregon team we had the longest winning streak of any oregon team so there's just so much that you can take away from the season that's true in your in your freshman she had phenomenal just a little stretch there where she obviously and that happens to everyone but she had a phenomenal year phenomenal tournament yeah, phenomenal match. ridiculous. Um, are you guys forced to wear arm sleeves? By the way, sorry. <laughs> I noticed. This. I remember watching. Where's like, petty stuff now? Now we now no, we're no, no, no. I was watching the match. I'm like, they're all wearing arm sleeves, but I don't know. Maybe Nike says it, or just no. a team thing. Because girls Texas, prefer long. They all long tape sleeves. their fingers. Oh, that's true. Texas does do that. Like, My brother can be a Texas hater sometimes. No. Yes. Yes. Texas hater. You don't love him. You definitely don't love him. That's for sure. <laughs> sorry, bro. Continue with continue with your answer though. The arm sleeves, yes, we are forced to wear the arm sleeves. I know there's a couple teams that have the sleeveless jerseys and they have the option to wear um, the arm sleeves or not. But but yeah, we have very strict like, or being Oregon, our equipment manager is like on top of everything with how we're looking. So that's that's really great because we're always looking pretty good, and at least in my opinion. But um, but also like you got to be on top of everything. So what are those? What are some of those rules? Like I, I have really weak ankles. I've sprained them eight times. And so I have to wear ankle braces and there's a brand, um, not, it wasn't a Nike brand, but it had white at the top. It had like the logo or something. And our equipment manager like ran out and he's like, Brooke, can I Sharpie this in? And I was like, sure, sure thing. Like, so, so like can't have any, not even a little logo showing or 
anything that's not Nike. Um, we have like a left arm sleeve and a right arm sleeve and the swoosh faces different directions. So we got to make sure that's perfect. Um, we can't wear anything like at practice. We can't wear any colored hair bands or no ribbons, no bows, no nothing, which, which I'm fine with, but it's just little, like little things. It's, it's funny. <laughs> so you're telling me you got middles in the front row wearing passive sleeves. Is that is that is that an actual rule? They're arm sleeves. They're not. Well, they're, they're they're for passing. They're they're for are they not are they for passing or are they arm sleeves? Is there a difference? It's like middle school wear knee pads. That... I think I think you go <laughs> anywhere you and you say like like I I like to wear the sleeves just for diving. Um, but I think I'm saying for for us like it's like oh no this is for the look like this is your uniform. Uh, okay, I spoke too soon. I apologize. <laughs> so so we talked about like the differences like. Overseas, all girls teams will wear football. We said this is a couple episodes back. We talked about for for women's in college, everyone has long. Well, ninety nine percent of the teams have long long sleeves. One percent has cutoffs with sleeves. Uh, this is Oregon. <laughs> uh, and then for men's, same thing, pretty much all cut off. But when you go overseas, all men's have normal uh, length jerseys, but all women have cutoffs. So do you prefer in cutoffs or do you prefer long sleeves? Hmm. I'm going to tell you I probably don't have a preference because mm-hmm. it's like <laughs> Mimi Collier, our freshman, she, she was like, no, I can't play in the long sleeves. Like, I don't have mobility. I'm like, Mimi, it's the exact same. Like, you just ha- <laughs> don't have this little skin of shoulders. But I think there's people that prefer, like, the cutoffs. But me, like, I don't know. It feels the exact same. But I do like the options of, like, not having to wear – the sleeves and and getting to but at the same time like we have to wear them so there's not much of a difference at oregon what is your what's your opinion for the dopest color combo Ooh. Hmm. the floor i'll say i'll say my <laughs> <laughs> i'll say my preference in the color combo and then i'll say like what i like to wear the best my favorite jersey was the long sleeve yellow um with we always wear the green spandex, the yellow and green, but long sleeve yellow. And then a lot of people like our white, I believe, our white cutoff, the white to like green sublimated. So those are pretty slick. So what do you guys like do with all your gear now? Like you got to be selling it. Oh my sure. gosh. Like you got to sell it. that. I just sold all of my jerseys. So wow. that was fun. And then I am currently in the midst of selling all of my organ gear. I we have a ping pong table in my house in Arizona and it it is covered. It is covered from like corner to corner with organ gear. So I'm selling all the jackets and oh, it's it's a lot of work, but I will tell you that people pay well for player oh, yeah. issues here. <laughs> oh yeah. Especially for a player such caliber as yourself. Come on now. Probably all liberos just showing love, like you said, giving people hope. But so uh, after my brother would after my brother won the national championship, what did you sell yours for? Ah, we ought to get well, – basically, I don't know if you know anything about Hawaii men's or women's volleyball, but it is wild out there, like bananas. <laughs> I played at Hawaii. Oh, so wait. Do we heckle think, you? We probably think, heckled you then. I think you played – Probably. There still. We, we heckle a lot. Are we the same that's... age? What year were you born? 97. We're 90, I'm 98. 2000. But I, 99, 2000. Well, your like, fifth year so – no, yeah. Which I'm year did year you go? Your freshman year? What year? What year? Mm-hmm. This was just my fifth year of college. Oh, you just wait. Wait, but what? T- when did you go? When, to Hawaii, yeah, when did you go to Hawaii? Oh, my 2018 of fall. Oh, we were yeah. My f- yeah, we both were there. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's all for here. Then yes, we for sure. I remember Oregon coming one of my last years. You guys, yeah. But but what I was saying was after we won the national championship, I was wearing a certain jersey. I could tell a lot of people wanted it. We, what we did afterwards is we dropped our Venmos after <laughs> after we graduated. We dropped our <laughs> Venmos, and then we're like, you know what? I'm just gonna go and I'm just gonna go and put out a. If you want my jersey, here's a bid. One jersey. I'm I'm not trying to brag, but I'm just trying to tell you that. No, no, no. It's awesome. One jersey, twelve hundred dollars, I think. Wow. And I did, yeah. and and I bet you, I I bet you are making a lot more than that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying. I, I I and you should, and you and you get that money for sure. But for so, are there stuff that you don't even like touch, like that, like gear that you like? You're like, oh, I get like seven sweatpants. Like I'm not gonna touch three of these ever in my life. Are there gear like that? Yeah. yeah. That's sad. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask a heavy question here, hard hitting. This this is a solve world hunger kind of esque question. Wow. Okay. You you watch Dude. our last episode. You last you watch yes. our last episode. You said one of our debates. We debate a lot of men's and women's volleyball. One of our debates. <laughs> the, I, the question that I think you're thinking of is not. I'll I'll, answer, I'll ask that next. This okay. the question that I was thinking of first is the biggest problem that I saw with there's a there's a pro league starting for women. And we want it to be successful, super successful, super successful. We want nothing but the best for it. But the problem is, and you can attest this more than we can or, or maybe deny it, is that a lot of girls and women don't watch sports a lot of time. A lot of them don't watch girls volleyball unless it's for a college or whatnot. So once they go to the pro level, it's, you know, they don't, they don't really pay attention unless they're on the national team. And even then, they don't even know, to be honest. So my biggest thing was, do you think that, when when the league starts, do you think that is going to be a struggle point? Or do you think that's going to be something that's not that's going to be not really a big problem? So two things. I, um, for my master's <laughs> program, I created um, a podcast. I did 10 interviews with um, a bunch of national team players and some coaches. You got to plug it. Pro you got to get a plug. There we are. Sorry. Pro Volley USA. But I, I, haven't, I haven't been very active with it since the last I don't know few months but anyway like through my interviews I learned a lot and basically I was kind of advocating for just media coverage and equity within women's professional volleyball um, and it's kind of just getting that message across the United States because most people like it's really funny I'll walk around with my Oregon backpack and people will come up to me and like oh do you play for Oregon I'm like oh I did like I'm looking to play like pro now we're looking at different things and they'll be like oh there's professional volleyball. I'm like, yes, yes, there is. Um, but people don't know that because there's not coverage on really big brands. Like, for example, I think you need support from um, the ESPN, the different sports networks that we don't get that coverage from. Because I think we've we've proved that in the past when you're getting that coverage of a certain match. I think Texas played on ESPN, like, without apart from the tournament, I think Texas, I think Louisville, Kentucky, um, there were a couple matches and they got a ton of views. And I think just from the past, we've proved that we'll get that support. So hopefully like big brands like that will continue to advocate for women's professional volleyball, the bigger it gets. And I think like, that's the first step. I think you need that in order for it to be successful or else people just aren't going to know when it's on, like know that it's going to be a thing. You need that, that, um, advertising to say that or in order for it to be successful. Yeah, exactly. Do they know every single Tuesday or every single Friday it's like there's a women's volleyball game? Like that 
right. that's where you, it's the same thing with social media. It's like when there's consistency and they can expect that. And that's how you build an audience. When it's just random, it's difficult to know when and, <laughs> it's on. And you hit the, the, the nail right on the, uh, how you say that? Nail on the coffin. Nail on the, the coffin. Nail on the Thank you. There we are. Oh. Bingo. Bingo. It's like to hear. Thank you very much. Um, is you named three of the top teams with the best social media, 100%. The marketing mm-hmm. has to be different. It has to be good. And it has to be just very, very creative. You know what I mean? And you mm-hmm. see a lot of the, like, there's baseball teams are called the Savannah Bananas. They're like the dancing baseball team. I don't know if you yep. see them on TikTok. No, they're very absolutely smart. great. It, yeah. and, and they started out so like I was like watching their story and they and they did different stuff and they got really creative. They tried to do what everyone else does, did not work. Mm-hmm. They got to do really really creative. And I think like you said, volleyball is a great sport. Women's volleyball is a great sport. There's a following. People have to know. People have to care about it. If you don't give them a reason to care, they're not going to watch it at the end of the day because they don't care. Once yeah. you get after Oregon or Nebraska, they're like Hawaii. Like I don't really care. I just support this school. I think getting people invested in teams is the biggest thing that you're gonna have to run into. So thank you for answering that question. Second question here from our last episode. Micah, our third host. Let's have a moment of silence for him. Didn't make it to this podcast. Thank you. He asked me. He said, Gage, if you were to play women's volleyball, could you be one of the best players in the world? I said, yes, I could. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. The reason I say that is I'm not saying I could, out of all the barrels in the world, I would be the best women's volleyball player. The reason I said that is because good height, extremely physical, and I just try and send it as much as possible. And I know you're probably not familiar with my game, and I'm not saying I'm some godly player or whatnot, but that's just my that that is my opinion on that. Now, for the question for you is, do you think is there something that I'm not thinking of that in the women's game you think that men would struggle with when they transition back to women, or if they were to play in the women's game that they would struggle with? So I'll start off by saying that I agree with you. You would be one of the most elite women's volleyball players if you were to play just congrats thank you. because thank you, bro. well just the, the physicality like if you have ball control which you do like you're a libero like you and then you add like the hitting aspect and the physicality of a men's player compared to a woman's like it's just not comparable that's why they're they're separate sports um but i will also say that men's and women's volleyball is very very different and i think they mm-hmm. play the game very different because of that physicality aspect for example like you see the women's game a lot more defensive. Like there's a lot longer rallies because of the, I'm not going to say like the lack of physicality, but I think women's focus a lot on defense and like men, men are ripping top spin serves and it's, it's everything's like very deep defensive, but at the same time, like you're playing the game differently because of the amount of physicality that the men's have. Um, Like I've played against men and I played with men a lot of my career and like, the way that they're taught to like defend because of how fast the ball is going, like is different than a woman. So I just think there's really small nuances that you would have to adjust to, but at the same time, like the physicality, there's a big gap. Brooke, Brooke, I, have, I always like to play devil's advocate. I got cut in here. I always like to play devil's advocate, especially when it's an argument like that. Mike and Gage love to bring up just, <laughs> just sometimes ridiculous stuff, but I'll say too, for gate like I there's definitely a lot of players out there on the men's side that I wouldn't agree with but for gauge I didn't say this last week he's he's a libero but he hits the ball he's the heart on our team here professionally at Hoy and we had some really hard hit he hits the ball harder than any guy on our team and, and he like has and so that's why in in that situation I don't think it's just like any men's player can be the best women's player right but but and I don't want it to sound like that that we were saying that 
But we're saying like for Gage, and a lot of people probably aren't familiar with Gage and seen him hit, to be honest. Uh, but that's why even Micah, like, and Micah's always very, like, keeps it, like, 100. <laughs> and he agreed, too, just, like, the physicality. But we're not just saying, like, every men's player, because I don't think that's the case either. Thank you, Joe. Brooke, I have a personal question mm-hmm. for you. What's it like? Okay, wait, really forward? quick. Really, wait. Sorry, yeah, really yeah, go quick. For it. Go for it, go the for it. men's players, men's players also, I will not give you guys credit for being able to pass a float serve, because you Bingo. don't see it 100%. often. 100%. So, 100%. So that... If you can pass the float serve, because women, especially with the yellow and blue balls, the FIVB ones, they are nasty. Like oh, going yeah. from a college serve with the uh, blue and white molten balls to the FIVB ones with national team, the, the previous Olympic gold medal team, like that was ridiculously hard. And so I will say like a men player will have to be able to pass the float serve. But yeah, yeah. Have, you seen, Go ahead. have you seen how most men's teams passed? Stand on the 10 foot line and just to the chuck hands. it with yeah. oh yeah they just yeah. chuck it hey all day baby it ain't even a set it's not even a set just it's a shot <laughs> and you're right women's chuck. players way more technically better which allows i think that in terms of technique comes into play way more with float serves than it does come with the spin serves spin serve is like mm-hmm. i mean at this point when you're facing top players you're playing defense up there trying to pop the ball at the 10 foot line when guys ripping 80 plus mile an hour jump serve even 70 and higher mile yeah if jump you, serves. on good float serves i will say if you like on the men's side especially here like professionally they teach you like half the serves all you're trying to do is pass the ball on the 10 foot the three meter or 10 yeah. foot line and you just <laughs> right. try to play it and then you put it high on and let guys just go blast off the top of the hands and that's like how they play mm-hmm. either over the top of the block some of the guys are or high off the hands and so with good floaters um that's what you'd have to do because you just play a little bit off the net and just get a high ball so or a medium tempo my personal question you brooke <laughs> libero to ex libero Expert mm-hmm. defender, mm-hmm. what's it like in like 40, 50 digs a game? Because I see that number, and that is outrageous to me. <laughs> the most digs I've ever gotten a match. I'm like, I think I'm a good defender. I think, I think I'm think i pretty decent. It's like 17. I see that like, yeah, 30 digs yeah. in two sets. I'm like, what? Like, what do you – Okay. Going, like, how? How do you uh, – it's shocking. It's mind-blowing to me. That's a little high. That's a little high. I was – so as a freshman libero, which – is still my career because I never played libero again. I had 35 digs in a five-set match, and like that's that's pretty good. Um, I I don't know if I've ever. I'm sure it's happened, but since I've been in college, I haven't seen a statistic that was 40 plus digs. But you're gonna get twice as many digs as a woman's player because the balls aren't coming as fast. Um, but I don't know. I love defense. I think that's one of my favorite skills. Maybe, Defense and attacking, like those are my two favorite things, and so I've always been known for my defense and the intensity and just getting balls off the floor is super fun. Oh, yeah. The other thing is in America, they consider free ball like when you take free balls, that's considered a dig in the U- oh, in yeah. the U.S. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> that's was, true. I was telling some Europeans. Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like when free balls get sent over the uh, not like jumped and set over or anything like that, that counts as a dig statistic. At least on the men's side, it does. Oh, um, no, I don't think it does for women. Okay, because it definitely counts on the men's side. Pretty down sure. balls do. Down balls do. Tips. Right. Dude, my freaking my, my senior year, my right side, Radoslav Perpunov. He was a national player of the year that year. Bulgarian, definitely not American. He would just be like, dude, because they would just try and tip at him every time. And he would give me, he would he started this like social media thing as well around the Hawaiian Island. Hashtag, like, hashtag more digs than gauge. 
And as obviously, <laughs> you had it's been four years since he played libero, so maybe you don't. But oh, I would get so like they would get everyone would give me crap if he dug more balls because they just try and put every ball to him. It's just something yeah. that that's just as a libero. Also, as a libero, like again, this may this is a little. You can call ago. me a libero. It's okay. You uh, can, oh, I'm I, both. An- outside and so, libero do you think you're a libero playing this is i always said when i played outside hitter i was like i'm a libero playing outside hitter i'm not an outside hitter playing libero what do you think you are i think i'm an undersized outside who has to increase my physicality a little bit but i i consider myself outside now i would consider myself a libero playing outside my sophomore year because i was just gotcha. very ball control very like shot worthy but now i have like good power um i jump well and i have good ball control so i feel i feel like i'm outside now <laughs> one of the so the, my question my, my question i was leading to was the biggest skill people like libero ask me hey what's the biggest skill i can learn as libero what's the most important skill i'm like bro the number one thing is you gotta learn how to entertain yourself especially during practice back there because <laughs> let me tell you i literally just got back from a practice where i passed an hour straight of free balls and yeah. 90 minutes straight of serve receive i'm like i'm telling you you have to like like i all right, maybe I take it a little too far sometimes. I'll admit that. I'll be the first one to admit that <laughs> to the point where it's distracting the rest of the team. Okay, yeah, all right, I get that. But for me, I'm like, you have to – because there's so many liberos out there who don't love playing libero. I love playing libero. Yeah. But 90% yeah. of them hate it. I'm like, why? Like, just learn how to tell yourself and love what you do. But I don't mm-hmm. know. People see it as a curse and jail time, basically. I, I won't <laughs> say I, I hate playing libero because I do – I still love right. it. But I like – outside more just because I get to do yeah. more skills um but I've definitely because normally now I'm libero for USA and so when I'm at USA I'm, there's definitely times where you're just passing free ball after free ball after free ball um and we do a drill called blitz the bro and it's at least like an hour-long drill where every single serve comes to you and so like if you are not passing good balls in this drill like you're ruining the drill so like the amount of focus that it takes to just pass perfect service receive footballs, like especially like I was saying with the FIVB balls and the national team, like very elite servers, like you have to be very very focused with the lack of reps that you're getting. So I, I definitely agree with that. As a libero, again, like I feel like we just relate. I don't know. I don't. There's something. I. I, I but the thing is, is in those drills, those can be the worst. Because if you mess up in those drills once, God forbid, twice in a row. It just feels like the the gym just gets dark, and there's just like a, a light, a strobe light just on you, and you're just there, and you're like, oh my god. I try when I mess up too much, and my brother can test this. I try not to look at anyone in the face. I just like look at the ground. I'm like, I hate myself right now. But like, I, it's the worst. Messing those up as libero because it's your job. As a, as, a, mm-hmm. as an outside hitter, must be must be nice, you know. Maybe you don't pass so well, you can get a kill. But have you ever hey, have you ever gotten a kill as libero? Well, okay. I'm sure I have, but in the um, Sweet 16 match, I got a kill from a dig for the to win wow. the fourth set. So like that wasn't a libero, but I felt I felt like a libero in that moment, you know. Um, but I I think I've actually like free ball killed or set a ball over the net and gotten a kill, a little like tricky dump, you know. But that was a long time ago. <laughs> so do, uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. I got you. So what would you say? Is your favorite? This is the last question about college, and I have one or two more about pro. But what would you say your favorite play is from? Because you guys get a lot. Of, it's always I've noticed a lot. Well, obviously, maybe hate to bring it back to the floor again, but it's always the floor. I I know for sure it, was, it sticks in your mind that it's Oregon. 
But you guys get a lot of media coverage in terms of there's always a rally going on. And, and when you guys, especially mm-hmm. at home, there's always a rally going on. And you guys always get posted on say, and say, mm-hmm. as you should. Is there a specific play moment in your Oregon career that you're like, all right, this, this was the sickest. Just kind of take it in. Like, this is the sickest thing I've ever done here. I would say, like, play what specific, specific plays. I have gotten, like, a couple off the block really good that, like, flies into the stands or something, and I hustle and get those. There's, like, a couple I can think of. There was one during, I think it was a Utah match at Utah, my official senior year, and I had, like, ran into – it shanked, shanked off of our, our right back, and it, it, like, flew into, like, the wall, basically. And I dove into the wall and, like, crushed my ribs against the wall. So I can specifically remember that one for sure. But um, definitely just the hustle plays are my favorite. Uh, Attacking-wise, and as a hitter, I love hitting rips inside, like, 32 balls. And just because all of my momentum goes into it, and I can normally beat the block. But, but yeah, those two. Got you. So as a physical, as you stated, undersized hitter, what do you do in terms of like working out, in terms of training, to make sure you're maximizing your abilities? Our strength coach is really, really talented. He's really well-known, honestly, around the world. He's done like keynote speeches and he's written, written like five books. So he, he's incredible. And he definitely got me in really great shape um, to be really explosive and increase my vertical. I would say because um, I was a, a hitter in, in high school and, and in club volleyball, and I touched 10-1 in high school, but then my vertical decreased a ton as a freshman libero. I would say I was probably touching around like 9-9 before, or at this end of my freshman year when I was starting to train hitting again. Um, and we got that all the way up to like 10-3, 10-4 by the time I was done. So he just does a lot of explosive things, just a lot of weight training. I pushed myself super hard in the weight room. Um I'm proudly like at the top strength group on my team just because I think it's really important for me to one, like push myself in the weight room, but I also eat super well most of the time. Um, and I try to get like my body in the best shape possible, but, but yeah. So do you do more as a barrel? I like to do a lot more plyometrics, explosive work. I did a lot, especially last year. I did a lot of uh, um, medicine ball stuff during explosiveness. Obviously the movements are different. Or are you mm-hmm. doing a lot more heavy lifting um, in the weight room? We do both. I think we alternate like day to day. We do a lot of uh, like agility things um, two or three times a week. And then the other days we're doing weight training. And it doesn't – on our team, we actually all have the same uh, weight plan, which is I know unlike a lot of trainers nowadays. But we all we all lift, we don't lift the same, but we have the same exercises that we're doing. Got you. I just want to kind of t- take a second here to give a spot, give a shout out to our sponsors, allvolleyball.com. Use the promo code OOS, all capital, OOS. The best thing you can give a volleyball lover is more volleyball. And that's what we do here at Ad System. And that's what we do at allvolleyball.com. Again, all capitals, OOS for 20% off. Um, is there something? So, one thing that I kind of, as you said, you're packing, you're packing everything out for pro season. One thing that I like to kind of ask people, and this is your first year, um, mm-hmm. but is there something that you're like, okay, I need this wherever I go in the world, wherever I end up, there's Turkey, Italy, this is the number one thing, and you can't say like socks or something. People are like, I've had people be like, my phone. I was like, no, duh. Like, like of <laughs> course, like, yeah, of course. My passport. Yeah, that usually works out if you have that, but is there something like unique 
I'm very easygoing for the most part. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I used to be really picky when it comes to food. But like the last five or six years, I've been trying to expose my palate to more more things and more cultures. And so I'm not very picky anymore either. I know like some people, there's a girl, Lindsay Vanderweide on my team, whose favorite food was like hot Cheetos and they don't have that overseas. And so nope. like her family would pack up boxes of hot Cheetos and send them to her. And that was her favorite thing ever. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't have anything like that, but um, no, I, I really can't think of anything, but I'm sure I will once I get there yeah. and I'll figure something out. <laughs> Two things of that. We'll interview you when you're at the, towards the end of your season, and then we'll ask you, and then we'll get back to that question. Two things. Last mm-hmm. question we have for you, then we'll, then we'll let you go here. Is there something that the biggest – the second biggest thing is that overseas people, I'm sure you've heard from a lot of people already, say you need kind of something outside the court to kind of keep your mind occupied because mm-hmm. you can't get lonely, right? Practicing good, different country, foreign mm-hmm. country. Maybe you're the only foreigner on your team. Can't mm-hmm. get lonely, can't get hard. Is there something that you like – is there an outlet that you like to do? Um, outside of volleyball that kind of helps you decompress yeah there's a couple things um love reading uh i've become like a bookworm over the past couple years i love 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 to cook and so especially going into a different country um whether it's Italy or turkey like i'll probably adapt some cuisine habits and try some new things cooking um i love music i play the piano it's probably going to be hard to play the piano overseas but Maybe I'll buy a keyboard or something, but, and then I just, I I love experiencing new cultures. I've actually been to Italy. I've never been to Turkey. So just going out and exploring a little bit. Well, I'll tell you, I've been to Turkey and it is super sick. It's very chaotic. Mm -hmm. Italy's awesome too. Italy's awesome. Sick. If you're near, oh, maybe she'll be, because we go to Italy yeah, we, at the end of January for European Cup it's true. quarters. That's true. We'll be in Italy in a month from now. Maybe, playing maybe a very big game. Near there. And if you're near there, we expect What city? Modena. We're playing at Modena. Hour and a half out. Hour, hour and a half yeah, out Milano. Milan. I am Milan. around. I'm. If I were to go, I'd probably be close to Milan. Ooh. Wow. So you'll be there. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> with that being said, we wish you the best of luck. We'll stay in touch. Uh, good luck with everything pro season. We'll, we'll keep our eyes on you. And like you said, towards the end of the season, we're going to ask you that question again. Just remember, if you can't handle the heat, goddamn kitchen. There's been another episode presented by Addison. <laughs>